and how they kind of get people on hockey specific training is doing a lot of lateral exercises. So you know, not, nothing bad against these exercises, but it's a lot of like band walks, um, slide board, lateral lunges, and that's the perception of what ice hockey training is. And it's like skating is not side to side. The slide board is not skating. And it's like, don't like fool people on thinking that that's translating into skating. And my mind goes to give people what they don't have. So if I know ice hockey puts a lot of patterns and typical movements on the hip, um, do I want to keep putting athletes in those same positions? Like, am I just doing more of the same and that's throwing them down a path of consequences? So to me, it's like, okay, I have to understand what they're already getting, what they already have, and show them the opposite of that. That was strength coach Michelle Bolin speaking on the current perception of sports specificity and rather what to actually look at and expose athletes to in a sport performance setting. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none, Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 108 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for tuning in and listening we have a brilliant guest on today's show, Michelle Boland, PhD, who also happens to be a NCAA Division I strength coach in the Northeast United States. So really happy to have her today. You heard a little bit from the teaser, the intro on what she's doing with hockey and not just repeating movements the athletes are doing on the court or ice over and over again for the sake of being specific, but a different way to approach that problem. Uh, this episode isn't just about hockey, by the way. So, I mean, hockey is an awesome sport, but I know there's a lot of you guys listening and also a big track and field audience listening that may not be um, super into hockey biomechanics. But this, this episode is going to, is really comes down to principles, principles, movement, posture, breathing, and everything we do in the weight room. And if you've listened to the podcast for some time, you've realized that 
uh, one of my muses recently, I would say in the last 40 episodes, 30 or 40, has been getting uh, as often as available, and I can, getting uh, practitioners of the Postural Restoration Institute, or PRI, and those people who are utilizing those principles and putting that into a strength and conditioning sports performance setting. I strongly believe that after attending a few of the seminars that it's really the future of a lot of injury prevention and balance and uh, functional, if you quote unquote, uh, functional, whatever that word means, right? So so loaded, right? But uh, functional performance in the field. Um, it just tells the story of our body. It tells the story of asymmetry. Um, for those of you who aren't too familiar with PRI or postural restoration, I'll give you guys the nutshell version. It is going to come up a fair amount through my conversation with Michelle, but not so much to the point that if you haven't been to a seminar, you're not going to understand it. You'll get a lot out of this one. Um, but just like the fundamental principle or principles, the human body is asymmetrical. Your heart's on the left, so your lungs are shaped differently. This fundamentally twists our pelvis and even the rotations of our spine. So we're not these perfectly symmetrical beings. We are fundamentally asymmetrical. Um, when we see athletes shifting or twisting in the weight room and like a bench or a squat, it's not just because, you know, quote unquote, one leg is weak and just tell them to shift to the other side when they're squatting and it'll magically be fixed. That's really a compensation and postural restoration um, allows us to take a look at what, what is going on on the level of the breathing and the cylinder uh, that is between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor and how that impacts how our body shifts and twists and the muscles that can get turned on and accessed and those that aren't accessed as easily. I hope I'm doing justice to PRI. I've taken three courses, so if that was a shoddy explanation, I should be ashamed of myself. Anyways, enough explaining PRI. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit. But So Michelle, brilliant strength coach. I'm super stoked to have her. I first um, started reading her articles on Rebel Performance uh, probably about a year ago, and I was just like, wow, this, this woman is really smart and looks like she's doing some really cool things in the industry. So long story short, reached out to her. She's on the show today, and she is going to fill us in on how she is integrating PRI principles and methods into a strength and conditioning program that gets athletes strong, conditioned, and reduces the risk of injury. Michelle, she coaches at Northeastern University as a strength coach, and her sport assignments there are women's ice hockey, field hockey, and rowing, and she also assists with the men's basketball team. So today on the show, what we're going to go through it's, I always ask the questions I have. Like I'm always like, how is this stuff being integrated? I think a lot of times we'll see uh, PRI videos and articles, and we see a, a lot of it's based on feel. So like you watch the person doing the movement, you're like, what exactly is going on here? Michelle is going to talk about how she uses uh, feel-based movements in various positions to optimize the performance section of her training. Uh, and she's going to talk about how that works in sagittal plane, bilateral lifts, squats, deadlifts, single leg training, core training. She's going to talk about different lifting strategies, impingement versus muscle oriented. Uh, we're going to go into how do you break up a week, a week of training based off of a lot of these principles and what are your like big lift days, what are more of your variability days uh, and, and that type of aspect of creating a program. And finally, she's going to drop some knowledge bombs on the frontal plane the elusive frontal plane, which is, if you actually just checked in with David Weck's episode last one um, on 107, uh, you'll we talked about the coiling core. You realize that is a crucial part of where that came from. So I'm always love talking about the frontal plane. Anyways, enough of my rambling. 
I'm super excited to get you guys this episode. I would also uh, check out Michelle's videos, her Instagram, her training library, um, being able to see a lot of these things. Also check out the show notes, being able to see these things and how they're integrated, I think are a very important aspect of learning, making it your own in your program and getting better at what we do. So let's get on to episode 108 with Michelle Boland. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Hey, thanks, Joel. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, totally. I'm really excited to talk uh, just between reading a lot of your articles, your knowledge of PRI, which I'm always looking to learn more of and, and have it explained to me. Uh, well, I, it always makes my coaching better. So thrilled to have you. Uh, for those people who aren't familiar with you or what you're doing, could you give us a little bit of your background in the industry, kind of how you came up and where you are now? Yeah, so I mean, I've had a lot of kind of twists and turns on my like realization of what I want to do. And I think I've had a lot of experiences of realizing what I don't want to do. <laughs> um, I was a, in grad school and I kind of had the idea of like, I wanted to be a professor at a university. And then I kind of had an experience um, doing that. And I realized that's not something that I'm really interested in going into. Um, and I got an opportunity presented to me by Dan Boothby, who's my current um, boss, the director of sports performance um, at Northeastern University. And uh, he had known me from a previous internship and you know, provided me with an opportunity for my current position. And I knew what they do here at Northeastern. And I knew that if I came here I would learn more and have more continuing education than I would at um, kind of my last year of schooling. And that's kind of exactly what happened. Um, I was able to finish school my first year here, um, get in and dive deep into training, training athletes. And um, I've loved it ever since. Um, in the past year, I've experienced so many great people um definitely things changed for me a lot when i attended ben house's functional medicine retreat um, so big thank you to him and uh, i've kind of been exploring some ways in which i contribute to content um, and kind of doing some personal adventures i guess you would say outside of my full-time position this is kind of where i'm at in um collegiate setting and then i kind of just started a business for myself called Michelle Bowl and Training, kind of simple, <laughs> and uh, we'll see uh, where that takes me. Awesome. Uh, what's your background as an athlete, uh, Michelle? What teams in particular do you find yourself mostly working with? Uh, so I work primarily here with the women's ice hockey team, the field hockey team, the women's rowing team, and I just recently um, started to help out with the men's basketball team. Um, the college level, I went to a D3 school up in New Hampshire called Keene State. Best school ever, by the way, <laughs> side note. And uh, I played soccer all four years, and then I played two years of basketball. And then uh, some people, some of my friends dragged me into doing a season of um, outdoor track, oh, excuse me, indoor track. So I kind of was able to do it all, which is great in the D3 setting, which are able to do that. So I'm very appreciative of that. What'd you run indoors, by the way? What, they uh, made, what did they make you run? <laughs> they made me run the mile. 
Um, I think that's really, I have like a horrible memory when it comes to like teams I played. Like my friends always kind of pick on me for that and like distances I would run. I'm pretty sure I ran a three in a mile. I definitely remember running a mile. Yeah, I remember when I coached at Wilmington College, little school, also Division Three. I remember Keene State at the national meet, but we didn't have a lot of girls on our team, so it was always like the soccer team was prime candidates to try to find people to do track, but they rarely did. Like it was like pulling teeth to get them to actually come out and run. Like it almost never happened. Oh yeah, I had two teammates on the soccer team who were national champion runners and would always get me to go out and run with them. Um, but yeah, they they did really well when I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I I do remember them being actually pretty good. Uh, in terms of uh, your training too, like or your. So what made you decide to kind of make that jump into sports performance? And then who have been some big influences and impactors on you in, in that realm? Yeah, so I don't want to go back to like the old strength coach kind of saying of like we're all just kind of like washed up athletes. But uh, <laughs> I just love everything about like competition and training. I just love the environment, love being around, um, you know, people who value training and exercise so uh, it's always kind of fascinated me and, and I was talking to you before the show about you know when I was in grad school I probably went to the one of the best if not the best strength initiating uh, programs for my graduate degree and I kind of felt a very like disconnect of the environment um, um, kind of like the raw, raw mentality and kind of like the things that they were like discussing or considered like important um, I don't want to play that stuff now, but to me personally, I just didn't connect with it very well. And then I met who is now like my biggest mentor. I met Pat Davison at Springfield College. And um, I remember walking down the hallways, like coming out of class, he would bump into me and say, like, hey, Michelle, like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I didn't have anything planned. I think I was just going to like head over across the hall. And he'd be like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm bringing a couple kids to like the rec center and let me, I got to show you this stuff. Like you'll think it's incredible. And he, and then I also worked at a private facility outside of Springfield and he would literally just come in and hang out with me and the, the other kid Parker I worked with at the time and just teach us stuff in all afternoon and things that like I had no idea about and I was mostly thinking in my head what is this guy talking about um, but I just found it so fascinating and he kind of gave me another avenue or another way to think about what training actually is and like who we are as like you know organisms and people so like to me it's all about like the people you're like just lucky enough to run into and who could potentially like change the way you think and kind of change your like course and experiences. And for me, like Pat Davison kind of did that. And to me, like where I am right now is because of he was at Springfield College. So I, I appreciate that from him. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I mean, I would have loved to have a mentor like that. Uh, back in my early days it would have been awesome and I know like Pat and then like the Postural Restoration Institute as well has given me so many things that uh, really ignite my uh, viewing athletic mu movement and as a puzzle like not just 
okay, you're going to squat and you're going to do this, you're going to clean and you're going to do this, but actually every athlete is a little bit of a puzzle and uh, allowing that uh, aspect has really been enjoyable for me. And I, I wanted to ask you how uh, postural restoration based principles, as well as you know, things you've learned from Pat, your mentors have really impacted and changed the way that you uh, program now and maybe just starting on uh, the big lift so a good place to start but how has it impacted you with looking at you know, the big lift sagittal plane bilateral work squatting deadlifting the things that we traditionally use to train athletes yeah so just specifically like that context of like it's understanding position and mostly it's understanding proximal position and then how that prevents or promotes movement and especially like us as strength coach, we like to view movement as from limbs. But it's like, I think Bill Hartman had this analogy. I think it's like your proximal structures are the door frame. And if they're out of position at all, the door is not gonna move in that door frame. Um, and then, you know, there's no absolute way to lift weights, but there's different strategies. And I think the concepts that I've learned from PRI and being able to put them in my approach with the exercises I select um, and the creation of strategies with you know, the, the movements and exercises I do have really allowed me to kind of understand movement better and like the consequences of that movement. Cause you know, going into like another thing of like, People think that like everything that we do is positive. Like we're always talking about like what ad adaptations we're trying to make. And I think here I has like kind of allowed me to understand the consequences of my decisions. And consequences implies both negative and positive. So there's both negative and positive adaptations to training. Um, I think it was like Mike Ranfone says like health is something that comes at a cost to high performance or something along those lines. And it's like, yeah, like PRI kind of talked about like how a compensation turns into an adaptation, turns into damage or, or pathology or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I, I was going back to grad school, like I would Olympic lift all the time. Like that's what we did. Like we were in like the weight room downstairs, we squatted, Clean, we snatched. And I knew that every time I would snatch, I wouldn't be able to turn my neck for probably like a solid two days. And like at that time, like it didn't matter. Like it was about what weight I could move and like how much weight I could get over my head. And that's really all I cared about at that time. And then I would just deal with pain and like a lot of right neck pain. <laughs> and at the time, I had no idea, like, why. Or, like, I just thought that that was what happens when I do that movement. Um, but, you know, going back to those big lifts, if I appreciated, like, that my axial skeleton and pelvis were not in the right position to be able to perform those movements, maybe if I worked on those structures, I would be able to allow distal structures to be able to handle those movements um, squatting is the same thing I just talked about strategy and um, you know there's a difference between like you know kind of like the 
butt out, kind of arch your back, the things that I was taught in grad school. And that's like PRIs maybe kind of understand that that's, that's a strategy of impingement posteriorly moving two adjacent vertebrae together to create stability. And that creates instability anteriorly. And PRI is kind of giving me like these concepts that understand, okay, if I create or want people to create an anterior impingement strategy, so I want to bring ribs down and like pelvis close together, so two bones moving close together. And I do that with muscles in the front. And it's kind of made me also think about like, we talk about periodization and programming. It completely changed my lens in terms of program and periodization from like a load or like percentage of RM to, okay, if I'm performing my big sagittal plane exercise, such as a squat, it's not about load for me. It's about placement of that weight. So how I'm handling, handling gravity. So how I can handle or prevent myself from falling forward or falling back. So if I place the weight in front of me, it's going to be able to allow me to control gravity better um, or my center of mass. Um, if I put it by my side, like that might you know, cause a little elevation or depression of a hip or a rib, and now that's frontal plane activity. So it's kind of changed the way I think um, about you know, everything from those big movements all the way down to um, just general concepts. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. I love it. I think um, it, it almost. I, I look back to some things that I thought the field was when I started in my yeah. early yeah. 20s or whatever. When I'm interning, shadowing, and it's like you think it's butt back, chest out, and then the only scaling is the weight, you know. And and what you're just saying, it really made me think about um, Jerome Simeon, French strength coach, who was on this podcast maybe 10, 15 episodes ago, had said he didn't care about the weight and and this guy he's trained like trains like the best track and field athletes over there guys who are crushing he's like i don't care about the weight i care about the pattern and it's like what you were saying is just that it's and i, I love what you said too um like there's no um absolute ways to lift weights or it's more about there's different strategies uh could you actually expand and unpack that again you were touched on a little bit with the extension and um, the impingement but and especially for those people who might not be super familiar with postural restoration as well um could you unpack a little bit about what exactly that means in terms of you're going into the weight room and you're looking at the strategies um, versus the exercises? Yeah, so it's basically, are people lifting weights or using like a joint strategy versus like a muscular strategy? So like, it's basically based on what people feel. So if someone's doing a movement and they feel things like in their joints, kind of have to question like what they're using to move that weight with and not it's not necessarily like what you see um you know going back to what you just said about um, um that other guys of experiences it's like people pick up on things and just because people aren't speaking the same language as you doesn't mean you have shared concepts and i think that was just something great to say of, um, you know people picking up on like patterns and things like that and strategies are just like what that pe person like kind of feels working when they are performing an exercise. So again, if someone's feeling things in a joint, like a knee, 
Uh, I would question like what their strategy is to move that weight. Um, if they're feeling, you know, abs and hamstrings, okay, I know that they're using muscles to be able to move that weight or go through a movement. Yeah, I, I like the more I've, especially in the last year, I should say, I've really started to understand the importance of giving your joints like options, like not being on the rails when you're doing a lift or even even like sprint like sprint drills where athletes are like running as tall as they possibly can or they're at the end or doing a, a skip as tall as you can and you're at the end range of the sprint movement versus being doing things that are somewhere in the middle um and then obviously lifting too like if you're always fully extended and against the rails that's one of the things that i think has really made a big difference in the way i see the weight room is i kind of think of it as having more options sometimes than than one, <laughs> one or two types of things, or I guess Franz Bosch would say you um, have more opportunity to learn w with a particular movement. There's more learning that can happen versus um, being like all the way on the end, I guess you could say. Exactly. And it just goes back to like the word, like variability, like being like robust or being able to handle stress, but it's like, I want people to be more than that, like anti-fragile, like they get better with stress kind of a thing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, definitely, it's really changed the game for me. Uh, and yeah, it's really cool to hear you talk about that. Uh, so moving on away from the uh, sagittal plane bilateral a little bit, uh, looking into single leg work, and I guess we could say, quote unquote, well, I will go with single leg work before I, I move on. So how, in terms of approaching athletes, single leg work, looking at some of the PRI ideas, um, how are things changed for you there? Um, you know, single leg work is kind of leans towards like the health end of like my, like when I think about programming exercises, I have kind of like a continuing of like health and performance where like health is very like sensory based and incorporates a lot of like frontal and transverse work and it's creating awareness, having athletes like think, especially about what they're feeling. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum is like performance, very motor-based activities. There's not a lot of feeling involved. It's basically like setting athletes up in the right position and letting them respond. Um, going at back to like the big lifts, like that's where you would find like your big lifts. Um, but if all I ever do and all, the only strategies I give to people are those big lifts, like which will involve, you know, they will involve extension. They will involve at high you know, loads. They will involve some sort of like posterior impingement. Like that stuff, that's why they're at the performance end of the spectrum. But if that's someone's only strategy, you're, there's consequences. And you can't be surprised when those consequences manifest. Um, so to me, unilateral single leg exercises staggered stance whatever you want to call them exercises are more towards the sensory or health end of the spectrum of those are exercises that i program that i want to go slow with that i want people to feel things with and then i play around with okay i had my big lifts and those are going to be all sagittal plane exercises like no one's doing a heavy squat with any sort of like rotation, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, so I use a lot of split stances, either 
lateral asymmetrical staggered stance or front back staggered stance exercises. And then I add components where there's a frontal plane or transverse plane focus. So if I'm in a front back staggered stance, you could like give one or two cues and make it a frontal plane activity. Or like we kind of talked about before, I could manipulate where they hold the weight to make it a frontal plane focused activity. And then do the same thing to make it a transverse plane activity. Um, can that athlete actually be on that foot or on that side? And then can they rotate like a thorax over a pelvis? Those are kind of things that I'm looking for in those types of activities. And this is very mindful stuff. And people have this like kind of negative notion that you can't really do that in a team setting. And I just think that like that involves a lot of a lot of buy-in, mostly from the upperclassmen, because the lower classmen will kind of follow. Um, but I think it, it it's easily accomplished. You just have to kind of let everyone know like that's how things are gonna be done and then create buy-in along the way of like, maybe someone feels something that they've never felt before. Um, and it creates, on the, I love kind of the woo-woo of stuff. Like if you can find someone's like left hamstring because you gave them like a left heel reference, like you just showed them like their left side of their body, like left space and like, that feeds into like your right hemisphere of your brain and kind of creates like a sense of self or sense awareness. So it's like, just feel things like, make things really simple, but like, I just love the complexity of things. Um, so basically unilateral exercises are gonna be on very health oriented, sensory based kind of end of my spectrum in the choice of like my activities. Oh, totally. I was gonna, yeah, I actually have a couple of follow-up questions. I hope I remember them all. Uh, but I, I write out with what you said, like I've found that every time I work, and, and I'm 34 now, but I always try to be coached by other people as much as I can. And like when I'm uh, working with, or being coached by a real masterful coach, it's like, I get a lot more out of that than if I was to just watch a video, like kind of doing the same thing, like being in that environment, actually going through, actually feeling what they're trying to get me to do. There's just such a, there's such a boost to it. I guess I never thought about it like right, you know, right brain or right hemisphere or like just the different, just from the actual brain science aspect of it. Uh, but it's always been important to me. Yeah, yeah. one of the biggest things I learned from that, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Pat Davison. I heard him talk on like dopamine and you know, after his presentation, I looked up a bunch of studies that kind of showed like dopamine, which is the primary neurotransmitter in your left side of your brain kind of feeds towards your right side of your body and gives you like in animals it shows like contralateral paw preference you know like just like stuff like that kind of like kind of shows you and backs up all this like asymmetrical talk that we get into and people think it's just like we just make it up and it's like you know if you go into the research you'll, you'll see that we have you know, our anatomies we have an internal kind of torque or rotation in us um, kind of keeps us upright so you can kind of dive deep in the stuff, which I, I like really like. <laughs> yeah, no, same. I, I wish actually I would have I, I would have done a little uh, quick Q&A. I wrote an article on asymmetry that just didn't get that deep. It was about three weeks ago, but I actually would love to have some of that stuff in there. 
and just like the PRI and brain science of it is is so cool. I um, I was gonna uh, oh yeah so uh, maybe talking a little bit like nuts and bolts too. So in terms of you know left side stance, getting feeling your left heel. Um, say I I let's just say uh, for sake of example, I don't know anything about PRI. I'm one of your athletes. Take me through uh, something to get me into my left stance and why. Like an exercise you might pick. What are some some things you're gonna uh, cue me to do? And, and how are you going to take me through that? Yeah, so we're talking like a front back staggered stance, so like a, a split squat exercise. Um, I'm going to try to have the athlete like have their back leg and like see or ask them if at any point in time they can take their right foot off the ground. And if I see any like shift forward or shift back, well, they're not actually on their stance leg, which is the front leg, um, which is the load bearing leg. So I kind of try to get them feel comfortable of, okay, I own my front leg, we'll say it's a left leg, and at any moment in time, I can take my right foot off the ground. That shows them that, hey, I'm bearing weight on my left leg. And then, okay, like we go through things to find and feel. The first thing is I say is heel. Find the heel and get tall through the heel. And then we'll work on things like having the hands out in front, exhaling through the mouth, and feeling like I say chest bone back, kind of retracting the rib cage. I try not to use like terms like retract rib cage or anything like that, uh, mostly because they don't care about that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, you know, can you feel like your hips come underneath you? And some people don't understand what that means, but it's basically like, hey, is your head right over your hips? Um, So I don't want people bent over. And then, okay, can you feel your hamstring? And some people might not be able to. Got to find that heel, and then I say, hey, without moving, try to see if you can think about bringing your hips to your heel. Um, Sometimes that gets it. Uh, other times it might just be like, honestly, if you get hips underneath you, that will kind of take care of the hamstring. So if I don't, if I have someone who's not feeling the hamstring, it's pelvis position that's really kind of driving that. So that's my job to kind of give them another cue that will get pelvis position first. And then that will just give them the opportunity to feel hamstring. And then I'll go after adductor on that stance leg. So I'll just say, hey, think about bringing your knee in just a little bit, like getting like tension there, or can you feel the inside of your thigh? That's the other thing too. Uh, I think I do a little too much of like hamstring, and like you'll be surprised at how many people you know, don't know where the hamstring is or adductor. So it's like, hey, can you feel the back of your thigh? Can you feel the inner thigh? And then if they can't feel their adductor, maybe I'll just like put my hand on the inside of their knee and say, like, don't let me push you out. And that usually kind of takes care of it a little bit. Once they find that sensation or find that awareness of a muscle, then I work on carrying those things over to other exercises. Um, so once someone finds like their hamstring and moves the pelvis, moves ribs down and feels what it like to exhale, and it's like, oh, hey, do you remember what we did in that split squat position? You're going to do the exact same thing doing X, Y, Z. Um, if I move someone into a lateral stance position, um, I'm going to shift weight over. So we'll say left side again. So all of my weight's on my left side. So that's kind of centering. 
Um, can I see a chin over like a sternum, over a knee, over a big toe? Um, and then I'll try to look at him from the back. Or we have a big mirror. I'll say, hey, look in the mirror. It's like, is your left hip higher than your right hip? Um, and then I'll just cue, find your right arch, which is it'll push them over to their left side through pronation. Um, sometimes people will feel like a posterior glute need on their right side, which is, you know, music to my ears. <laughs> um, but it's, it's kind of showing people what it is to have a stance leg and then the muscles associated with that. Um, but again, it goes back to proximal position of nothing really matters unless they can feel their ribs move like down, back and in and a pelvis come underneath them. And then, okay, it gives them the opportunity to feel like stance leg muscles working. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. I love that stuff. I, it, it, it definitely makes all the sense in the world to me. And this is coming from, I mean, I'm an athlete who probably tried everything. I was a high jumper and triple jumper and my barbell volume slowly increased as I went throughout my twenties. And I just noticed that my low back always seemed to get bigger. My right leg seemed to get bigger, my left leg, not so much. And then, and I've actually had Dexa kind of confirm this to me when I do powerlifting programs my right leg will gain like a pound of muscle. My left leg will get, stay the same. And I was like, what the hell? Like, and, and so I, I wish I would have had a coach like you to kind of help me to get, and I found through working, if I do like the wall breathing and the hip sh- uh, shift type work before I squat, it's like, oh, there's my left leg a little bit, you know? And obviously what you're doing is even more integrated. I'll have to throw that in the show notes where you're just saying like, just like the split squat and then the, the, the staggered stance stuff, I think for people to kind of, cause sometimes you do have to kind of see it in action to really understand it. But just those two, it seems like it could be a total game changer with whatever else you're going to do in the weight room on the day. Exactly. And like, you know, we kind of have this mentality of like, I mean, listen, you're talking to a person who like couldn't be more of the person I'm going to talk about, but it's, you know, we, we kind of grow up or in environments where like we perceive exercise as like a feeling of like fatigue or tired or soreness. And that's kind of how I get sensory information. Mm. And, you know, people who come in and being used to that environment and training style and, you know, getting people to do this stuff, you have to create buy-in. Um, you have to create a relationship with them and explain to them in, in their terminology and why it should be important for them and not me. Um, so creating sensory information that's not like making people like sprint and just like crawl out of the weight room like is, is different. People are just searching for something to feel and we need to give them that in the right mechanics um, in order to have any type of like opportunity to translate into other activities because the activities that are important for them, such as skating, like ice hockey, um, is things that like go with like the concepts that we're talking about. Like, can they actually transition from one leg to the other? And like, that's push mechanics. That's being able to actually load a left leg and load a right leg and like you know, we have these like it gives us wise to things of like 
why do I feel weird when I turn to the right? Oh, it's because we're not very good at turning to our right because we have, you know, internal kind of rotation. That doesn't really make it, you know, it doesn't really make it comfortable for us to be able to do that. And now, um, so kind of focusing on these things and kind of giving them explanations. Like I get a lot of um, people doing the bench press and saying, you know, why is my left arm like so much stronger? It just comes up a lot higher. And, you know, we throw around a lot of these words like strength and like one side being stronger than the other. And it's not, it's not the case at all. It's like, it's because you're oriented right. So basically like your rib cage is to the right. So that automatically just puts your right arm lower, if that makes sense. So it's like, if, if you explain like the importance of the thorax and how it's rotated, like and connect these things, like that's probably like, the biggest bane for your buck when you're dealing with um, clients or athletes or whoever. Oh yeah, right, right on with that. I yeah, I'd always kind of wondered <laughs> uh, until at least the posture restoration work and and looking at that right arm uh, being lower than the left. Why so that right arm would lag and bench press? It's always like, oh, you must be weak on that side. Do some one arm bench on that side. You answered a lot of questions. Uh, so basically, based off what you're saying too, with the single leg versus the bilateral, are you um, is your philosophy kind of lend towards then using the single leg to establish uh, functional baselines, and then if you are going to push weight, moving more into a bilateral, or what's your how do you break that up? Um, again, it goes back to like programming, sensory versus performance kind of aspects. Of, you know, if I, if I push weight, and trust me, like we do. Um, uh, I think I think the average like hockey deadlift is somewhere around like 285 or something like that, or 275. Um, so we we do lift and like focus on like strength component, of course. But that's definitely focused on those big lifts. Like deadlift is something we focus on, trap bar deadlift, um, and bench press. But the exercise I throw in between or warm up, I pick like three or four exercises and some are very like left lateralized based, um, getting people to find and feel things, um, especially towards like what they're going to be doing. Like if we're squatting that day, I'm really trying to focus on like, quote unquote, like side abs, hamstrings. And then we do some frontal plane activity and then we go we go squat and then maybe like we'll do two exercises at the end that again are sensory based and kind of bringing them back into you know proximal structures being in the right position so definitely if i'm pushing weight like we're staying in those sagittal plane bilateral stances um and then focusing on finding and feeling things in the kind of staggered stance exercise Oh, right on. I, I think that's cool too. Like I, it, the idea of, especially in, in college, I mean, I'm, I have come off of a track and field existence where in college, you know, I'd spend about 40 minutes in the weight room twice a week and, and was totally fine. And then you get into like, okay, we're three minutes, 60 times, or, you know, or sorry, three, three times 60 minutes. Cause it's symmetrical. But like, I always felt like athletes don't need to be doing bilateral sagittal plane for like 40 or 50 minutes. And then a few auxiliaries, and I like that way of breaking it up too. Like, look, we can refine this and we're going to work hard where we need to and then spend the rest of the time getting you to feel the right positions and providing sensory information. I think that's a really cool uh, way of doing it and breaking you know, it up throughout the lift. 
Yeah, exactly. And like the other thing too is like you just said, like time in the weight room. And it's like if I have an hour with people, like I remember like I would take like 20 minutes, you know, a couple years ago, like five, six years ago. Like people would focus on like mobility, stability, like whatever those words mean, um, drills and like foam rolling. And like we'd be in the weight room for like 30 minutes doing that stuff. And it's like, well, one, it's not a good like not good like quality of your time and like we could do things that will benefit you a lot more within the exercises that we select so we kind of get rid of all that like kind of wasted time in the beginning um and focusing on like proximal structure position and that will give you more mobility or whatever mm-hmm. you want um so yeah it's like it, that's definitely like you got to think about like your time and what's that what that is worth to you oh, i couldn't agree more i think that's a it's it also creates uh, and i've come to this like this is almost like a per, I, I don't know how true this is this is at least something i've kind of personally started to think about over the last year but it's like if there's any time where i'm bored in the weight room i feel like that we're not doing stuff that's that great for the athletes like if we're just sitting there doing remedial core that i just saw that who you know that I'm not 100% sure what this does or exactly why we're doing it or it just seems like we're doing auxiliaries for the sake of doing it. I always like I'm like wow are we really getting that much out of this at this given moment? But I always feel like doing some of that th- those work where it's sensory and repositioning and there's always things that you can be inputting to the athletes and they're learning. We're all learning. Um, that's a, often a better use of time and that's yeah, kind of got my wheels turning on that. Good. So uh, very cool. I uh, wanted to ask you too, um, in terms of core, like, so how PRI has, Im- Im- or <laughs> how postural restoration has impacted uh, trunk training, trunk core. Um, how has that been a part of your program? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's all about like athlete perception as well. Like we cannot forget about that. Like perception can be everything and everything. Um, you know, people will come in and they want like, you know, an ab circuit and like, they're not going to have like buy-in or like me as a human being, <laughs> if I say, no, we're not doing that. But I found ways to, you know, train quote unquote, like the core or whatever. To me, it's like abs for the rib cage, hamstring for the pelvis. So I'll give them very like ab looking exercises. I'm going after them in the ways that I want to. <laughs> it's all about me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, you know, we'll do like a side plank and have a leg on a bench or a box. And so I'll go after adductors and then um, can that person get an ab wall? So that everything I do, I'm incorporating like ribs down and back, pelvis underneath you, and then we'll do whatever we're gonna do, um, including like a reach or a rotation, and like feeling an ab wall, getting that reach and rotation. Um, as long as you're creating something that they can feel, and like being able to understand like what that feeling is is doing, you know, not just the, not racing. Um, can you actually feel bones moving? feel a pelvis coming underneath you because you have your hamstrings pulling them back, pulling your pelvis back. Um, 
can you exhale and actually feel your ribs move down and then like say, hey, do you feel your abs when you do that? Oh yeah, I definitely feel my side abs. Okay, now we're gonna do that and then I'll create an exercise that utilizes those concepts um, in relation to like what they want. Like if they want an ab circuit, like we'll do it. But I always have these concepts in the back of my mind. So we're never, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing like the typical like crunching or sit-ups or whatever you want to call them or anti-rotation holds. I'm trying to more focus on how we're getting those abs through like a rotation or an exhale, um, things like that. What do you think about the idea of like what percentage of the the day, the day or the workout is based off feeling something versus um, like you had said too, it's like some athletes only feeling is intensity and fatigue or maybe like weight on the bar, like tension. Um, how do you try to break things up like throughout what, you know, feeling percentage feeling versus percentage of uh, weight on the bar or something or fatigue or things like that? How does your weight room kind of flow in that regards? Yeah. You know, that's a tough question. Cause obviously it's all in context. Um, but you know, we'll say for like the hockey team, I'm with them probably five days a week. I see them lucky enough to see them five days a week. Um, you know, in the fall I had them for like an hour before practice. So I would have to do a warm up. And then do a decent amount of lifts, maybe like five or six exercises. And then the fall kind of switched where I had them almost every day, you know, for the most part, but only for like a half an hour. So like a little kind of like what you would say, like micro dosing. So those days we would have one main exercise. So we'll say like trap bar deadlift. And then maybe I had like three pre-exercises where we really focus on like abs and hamstrings or some sort of like frontal plane mechanics, trap bar deadlift. And then maybe we did similar exercises quite so I kind of like sent them out of the weight room with, you know, good proximal position or whatever you want to call it, kind of like bringing them back down. Um, but, you know, all that changes like off season, like, their programs are like challenging in the off season. So like right now they're in like portal, like triphasic training session with doing like slow eccentrics on big lifts such as squat, deadlift and bench. But then I have two days of that. So honestly, I think they have a few warm up exercises. Like they warm up with like short exercises. And then all of the lifts are sagittal plane exercises. Like, let's move weight, let's get strong. And then I have two days a week, one or two days a week, where I call it like a variability day, where they're doing very low threshold frontal plane and transverse plane focus activities, kind of giving them, you know, I don't want to make them weightlifters or powerlifters. Um, so I don't want that to be their only strategy. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm allowing them, you know, their limbs to be able to move in the right planes and directions. So like I have a day where it's very specific towards that currently in the summer. And then I think the other two days a week are like just conditioning days. Um, so it changes throughout like my plan and throughout the semester. Um, but some, some days like we could be very sagittal plane focused. Um, you know, we're still including concepts of what I call the cylinder position, which is, ribs down, back and in, and pelvis underneath you. 
Like we're not forgetting about that stuff when we go and do our sagittal plane dominant exercises. But where I throw in kind of the health and sensory based exercises kind of depends on like the time of the year for sure. Sure. How much, so, so you have like a, a high intensity lifting day too. I think about uh, my episode I did not too long ago with Dan John. And it's like, if I'm going to, where he was like, if I'm going to lift heavy, you know, I don't want the foam, obviously the foam roller, but n not that that's like a, a PR I think, but it's like, if I'm going to lift heavy, I don't want the foam roller like near me. I don't want to, I just want to go lift. Like I'm not, I don't want that messing with me. I, what's your idea on like the kind of the give and take on a day where you're going to go and get after it? How much, and that day is de dedicated to that, how much, how do you distribute the time in there and how do you go about um, that environment on those specific days? Yeah, I think it's all a learning process. Like my first year here, so this is my third year here. My first year here, I was way too easy on them. Like at a really bad fault to me. And I saw it when they came in preseason, we test. And then I tested them, you know, in January and then before they leave at the end of the spring. And it's like I saw numbers like drop off dramatically in January and, and then go back up again like in the spring when we train again. And it's like that's my fault. <laughs> like that is when you need to self-reflect and self-recognize what you are doing. Um, and so – it's a learning experience so I was like that's not gonna happen again so I trained at a lot higher intensity this past year through the season and I saw those numbers not have a decline um, and athletes even gave me subjective feedback of they felt strong they felt fast they felt better in the spring and to me like that was a great learning experience for me um, but I still make sure that when we do high intensity activity, like that's what it is. Like I want there to be intent. I want there to be like max effort. Like that's the most important training component. So on those days, I try to like reduce volume, work on intensity. Um, and then volume might come in more like low threshold activities on other days where it's very like aerobic based. Um, maybe decent amount of reps and sets for like low threshold, low weight exercises. Um, I'm also a very like conditioning mindset person. Um, so aerobic days between those high intensity days to me is like very important. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Cool. Uh, last question for you, just because I, I think keeping everything today within the realm of uh, how you've utilized a lot of the sensory, the, feet, the work, the positioning work, proximal, uh, I think it's all awesome. And uh, I think it's really impacting the field in an awesome way. And frontal plane. So it's like of all the planes, I feel like the frontal plane is is so important. And um, you know, a lot of people will do the, and as well as myself, like I'm always doing like lateral work with my athletes, but how can we get the most out of this like in terms of where the athlete is at from their position how to select exercises i know it could probably be a whole podcast but what are some general primers in approaching training the frontal plane with athletes yeah so the frontal plane is very detailed like it takes a lot of awareness and you know i'm really focusing on ice hockey here a little bit but again going back to like perception and like past experiences of a lot of these 
like girls will go home or have come from programs that kind of gear towards hockey specific training and I have some air quotes going on right now and how they kind of get people on hockey specific training is doing a lot of lateral exercises so you know, not nothing bad against these exercises but it's a lot of like band walks um slide board lateral lunges and that's the perception of what ice hockey training is and it's like skating is not side to side the slide board is not skating and it's like don't like fool people on thinking that that's translating into skating and my mind goes to give people what they don't have so if i know ice hockey puts a lot of patterns and typical movements on the hip um do I want to keep putting athletes in those same positions? Like, am I just doing more of the same and that's throwing them down a path of consequences? So to me, it's like, okay, I have to understand what they're already getting, what they already have, and show them the opposite of that. Um, so like, internal rotation. And when I throw these frontal plane activities at them, it's okay, it's like, I know what like ranges of motion they, they think they have or can do, but, um, you know, frontal plane goes back to what James Anderson kind of threw, threw at me, is, is literally just the concept of lateralization. So skating, we'll say, what, it doesn't matter. Like if you're throwing a baseball, if you're walking, you're running, we're going to use skating right now. It's not side to side at all. It's the ability to lateralize yourself over a left leg and then transition and lateralize yourself over a right leg. And that involves elevation and depression of a pelvis, elevation and depression of a rib cage. So we're talking frontal plane. And only if you have that, only if you can center yourself, lateralize, whatever you want to call it, be in one hemisphere of space, can you add and throw on top like rotational mechanics. Can I rotate my pelvis one way and rotate my thorax over it the other way without taking it with me? Um, so to me, like if you, again, I try to explain this in their language of like what skating is. So, you know, we're talking the same language, which is extremely important, Have, using the same vocabulary. I try not as much as humanly possible slash never use, you know, the three letters, PRI or anything like that. Um, it's concepts and it's showing them like the importance of mechanics. Um, frontal plane, you know, I like to progress things back to back, not like week to week. So I think I gave the example of like, okay, so I have my stance, like we'll say it's my left leg. I'm pushing myself over to my left leg in a lateral um, staggered stance. I'm holding that position. I'm feeling my frontal plane muscles work. So I'm elevating a pelvis on my stance leg. I'm getting an ab wall. And then I'm getting a adductor on the stance leg. And then I'm pushing through my arch on my other foot and I'm getting a posterior glute bead, pushing me over to the other side. Okay, awesome. You can hold that position. You can own that position. You can feel it. And then, okay, now we're going to go do a med ball throw. 
it's the same exact position. We're working on the same exact thing. And then I'm just gonna throw a med ball, keeping that position. And now I'm working on rotating, rotating over a stance leg. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll go on the slide board, but we're focused on doing the exact same thing, like pushing through an arch, pausing, being over a stance leg, pushing through an arch, going to the other side. So transitioning concepts, going back to that, and then only giving like one or two things to think about, like push through your arch. And then do you feel like you're on that, you know, right leg? Push through the arch of that right leg, do you feel like you're on a left leg? Um, kind of carrying concepts over, um, you know, between exercises. I think that that's how you train like the frontal plane of like, creating as many exercises using the same concepts and kind of talking in their language of like why that's important. That answers your question, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So I, and I see the same thing in swimming, working with a lot of swimmers. It's like you guys are already doing thousands and thousands of strokes overhead. And we think about, at least what probably the general public thinks about specific swim training, quote unquote, is, is doing various poles that are the same range of motion or whatever. It's like, guys are doing an awful lot of these like let's maybe let's get your rib cage and scaps in a good position you know and maybe be more mindful if we do this stuff and so it sounds like in terms of frontal plane work the key is just being mindful of the pattern and selecting an appropriate dose and progression more so than just all right let's do all this lateral work yeah exactly so especially lateral staggered stance, like activities are very like sensory based exercise but also we have like great tools like um, the Versa Climber. So we do conditioning on the Versa Climber and I'm really emphasizing like hip hike on the Versa Climber. Um, so they're creating a lot of, a lot of frontal plane movement at the pelvis and ribs and they're not thinking when they're on that. They're thinking about like when they're going to be able to get off of that. So, <laughs> you know, incorporating it into different exercises too. So uh, that's pretty much how I train the frontal plane. That's awesome. That's awesome, Michelle. Hey, well, uh, Great, great podcast today. Um, really enjoyed your answers. It's always great to get clarity on a lot of, uh, like you said, the three the three words you don't say to athletes, right? They have a lot of complexity behind it. PRI. It's really cool to have to talk with somebody who not only knows the philosophy behind it, but can really put it into practice and has been in the trenches and that. So it was awesome talking with you today. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, it's funny because I was I was reading um, Born to Run a few days ago in the first chapter. The, guy had a great quote explaining like why he wrote the book and it said like he asked the doctor like how come my foot hurts and the doctor said because running's bad for you and then he said why is running bad for me and he's like because your foot hurts and it's like the guy was like but why and I think like PRI gives you the why like it allows you to understand why a foot hurts and like showing people something different and allowing them to like do what they love to do, you know? So, uh, you know, I appreciate you letting me be on, letting me ramble a little bit. Um, like I said, it's my first podcast ever. So like pretty excited about it. And uh, thanks again. That does it for another episode. 108 is in the books. I hope you enjoyed listening to that and Michelle's knowledge as much as I did recording it, putting it together. Um, I think this is one we can all benefit in terms of digging into. Again, check out the show notes, check out Michelle's website or Instagram and the things that she's doing. I think this stuff is definitely a future of the industry and will become more standard 
in serving athletes to our maximal capacity as coaches. So with that being said, uh, we're going to sign off for the week. Don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, contact grids, force plates, EMS, EMG, and more. The online leader in sport technology store. Check them out. Uh, also, if you enjoyed the podcast and have a couple minutes and want to do me an awesome favor, do me a solid, uh, leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it. Anyways, we'll see you next week. Have a good one. <clears throat>